Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Episode 32. I'm your host, M, and with me is my number one, Jackson. Hello. We're here to talk about some Star Trek. Discovery is coming out on Blu-ray. It's too expensive. I probably will not buy it, even though I want it. That's where we're at. Don't buy it. Wait till the whole series comes out and then buy that. But that one's going to be like $700. Yes, but think of how much like $50 each time will be. Yeah, but I can afford $50 each time. I will never have $700 to spend. You can afford the series for $0. How much does a VPN cost? <laughs> like $8 a month or something. Well, how much are you paying for Star Trek? I'm just saying, I would like to own it. I, I like I like the show. I want to support it. I want them to continue to make more of it. Oh, yeah, no, and so will I. Um, like, I'm paying for... I'm, I load up the episodes on Netflix to check in, even though I have to watch them early because of how uh, they, they put those out a day late in the in the UK. And I will not wait. But I, yep. I put my numbers in. I let them know that I'm watching. Yeah, um... But yeah, that's happened. There's Star Trek Discovery news, but I think we'll talk about that closer to the actual thing. Maybe when there's like a... I was about to say when there's a trailer, there's been a trailer. Watch the trailer. It's good. No, it's a bad trailer. Show looks good. Trailer's terrible. Uh, yes, but I am ex- I saw that trailer and I was very excited. That's all that matters. Yes, but... If I see a Star of- Trek thing and I'm excited, I'm happy. The trailer's good. Absolutely, but it's one of the funniest examples of trying to cut something that is not exciting in the way that they want action shows to be exciting into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yep. It's also spot. clearly the first two episodes, just like <laughs> the first else. Discovery trailer. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that'll happen soon. We'll talk about that later. Uh, that that's that's what's going on in the news of Star Trek world, I guess. Uh, Picard's got a series. We're ex- yep. we're excited with reservations. We're excited with reservations, but it's gonna be it's gonna be so weird. Yeah. Uh, so when we did this last episode of this podcast, we announced the next Seven episode would be about Left Hand of Destiny and some TNG episodes. That's not this episode. My apologies. We had a Patreon show we need to slip in and we couldn't do two of these a month. We didn't have it in us. It's been a busy month for everyone. <laughs> it sure has. We didn't even get everything that we originally had scheduled for this month done this month. And um, it was still one of our busiest months. So this one that we are... We will after the musical break. We will be talking about the film Galaxy Quest. Maybe you've heard of it. And after that, we will be talking about the book Red Shirts. Uh, these were both suggested to us by our friend Crass. Uh, and Crass was like, "We're gonna. I'm gonna give you something fun to talk about." And I was like, "SOS is always fun." Crass, what are you implying? And Crass is like, "You know what I mean." Uh, and I don't. But I, that's why I relayed the story to you. <laughs> <Listener>. <laughs> Star Trek's fun, Crass. Yeah, Star Trek's great. Next you're gonna come tell me the fucking Rogue Squadron's better than Star Trek books, and you're all wrong. Um, it's it's not. I like if someone wants to get us to read Rogue Squadron, like let it let me know. You know, pledge to the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/normalmapping. I'd love to read some Star Wars, but only for this podcast for money. <laughs> <laughs> only if you're being paid. Yes. Yes. Um. So that's it. Please, uh, musical break, enjoy, and we'll be back to talk about Galaxy Quest.
our movie this month is Galaxy Quest. This is directed by Dean Parasot. It was had a screenplay by David Howard and Robert Gordon. It came out December 25th, 1999. I remember going to see this in a theater. It stars Tim Allen, It stars Tim Allen, Sigourney Reaver, Alan Rickman, Rip, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, Daryl Mitchell. Not actually. There's all sorts of characters in this movie. Uh, the way you said that made me thought to, made me think that Tony Shalhoub was dead, and I was very confused for a second. <laughs> uh, Tony Shalhoub was dead in my heart. <laughs> what did he do? I, I, have, I have no, I have no opinion. Other than I never, Monk, I never saw Monk. I have no opinion about Tony Shalhoub in the modern era. Uh, no secret. It's, it's Psych was the one you saw, right? I've never seen Psych. I, I watched House. I, it was the only one of these I saw of this era. For some reason. I thought you saw Psych and no. you had Psych stories because I didn't watch television from like 17 to like 30. I don't have an answer for like you. vivid memories of Psych related Dulé Hill stories. You've told me about them multiple times because I'll always sit down and listen to you talk about a show I never watched. I don't care. Okay. Well, I don't. All right. I don't remember. All right. Whatever. Yeah. I'm remembering things wrong. You'd never. I've invented it in my head that you watched Psych. Yeah, no. You just tell me about it every once in a while. I've never seen Psych. Oh, but every time I bring up Dooley Hill, you tell me a Dooley Hill story from Psych, and I just, I'm pretty sure I've heard whatever the story is like three times, and I've forgotten it each time. So. But no, you tell me the story. I've never told any, I don't have any stories. I've never seen Psych, Jackson. You've told me Psych stories before. I've, no, because the story, okay, brief pause. Yes. <laughs> the, the story I remember is that you knew Dooley Hill from Psych and thus would, like, shout him out whenever you watched the West Wing credits. No, we just shouted him out because Dooley Hill's great. Okay, alright, so that just came from nowhere. Yeah. Just because, well, it came from Dooley Hill. Yeah. Right, that's enough of that. <laughs> he's the no only, idea. he's the only, like, pure innocent character in that entire show. Oh, for the all assholes? Yeah, no. Yeah. <sighs> right, enough about that. Galaxy Quest is the story uh, of the cast of Galaxy Quest, which is a fictional television show uh, that aired in the 70s and 80s, uh, which told the story of the NSEA Protector, which is a spaceship that's basically a fake Enterprise and went around doing Star Trek stuff. It is a fake Star Trek show. Uh, they... Uh, now it is now 1999 and they are going to conventions and doing autographs and stuff and they are in a in kind of a rut and um the main guy who's played by tim allen and jason naismith um is the one who enjoys the attention the most but also uh is seen as very pathetic for caring this much he's definitely over the hill and has been that's the setup but then during this convention the thermians appear the thermians are the greatest aliens ever put to screen um and they request uh, help from, uh, well, from Commander Peter Quincy Taggart, who is the character that Jason Naismith plays, because to them, Galaxy Quest is not a story, it is not a fictional TV show, it is historical documents, and they bring him um, to their to their ship to do some negotiations uh, with this guy, Saris, who is the evil alien, like, uh, kind of a racist, uh, he's got a name. Um, but they don't really say he's just a big bug person, very generic uh, 90s Star Trek looking villain. Actually, not 90s Star Trek looking villain, looks like a 90s Stargate villain or definitely some rip off show to me is the style of makeup for some reason I always think of uh, mm-hmm. the least Star Trek part of this entire thing. Um, but he just fires on him, blows his ship up, uh, runs away, doesn't realize this is actually in space, uh, thinks it's all just a set that he's on and the fans setting him up to do some things. Uh, goes home as he goes home he is shot through space in like gel realizes he actually went to space and tries to uh get the rest of the cast in on this with him and bring them back to space they do not believe him but because uh they think this is a job and there might be money in it they're willing to go along with it which is huge mood big mood uh so they all go back to space turns out that when jason uh fired on this evil bug guy didn't go well for anyone else so they now have to fight him and go back to negotiations uh and they have to keep up the ruse of being their characters from galaxy quest so uh the characters are uh tim allen is jason Smith, who is the, uh, the commander um then there's the literally the girl who all she does is repeat uh what the computer is saying who's called tawny uh and um she is it- <laughs> 
Her actor's name is Gwenda Marco, who, who is played by Sigourney Weaver. I can't say actor because there are already actors that <laughs> trip me up there. Uh, there is Dr. Lazarus, who is a, like the alien scientist on the ship, uh, played by Alan Rickman as Alexander Dane, who is a British guy complaining constantly about how he's an actor, damn it, he's not going to say the stupid line about Grabthar's hammer. Um, there is uh, Tony Shalib's Fred Kwan, who is the tech sergeant who you know sticks around in the chief engineer role and tells everyone that the ship's going to fall apart. Uh, Sam Rockwell's there playing a random guy called Guy, who was on the show once and makes all the jokes about being a red shirt. Uh, and the final member of the crew uh, is Tommy Weber, who played Lieutenant Laredo, who's played by Daryl Mitchell, who I don't even know who that is, so I feel really bad about that. The only member of this cast I don't recognize. Uh, the thing that uh, Dusty told me as I was watching this was like, he's in a wheelchair now, which, okay. <laughs> okay. He was in a motorcycle accident in 2001, so yes. Oh, that explains why I don't really know him much after this came out. Yeah, Apparently no, he's in Inside Man. <laughs> he is in Inside Man. Yeah. That's a on, great fucking movie. He was on Ed movie. for 39 episodes. Just looks like he does a lot of TV these days. I don't know. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I don't watch much TV. Yep. Uh that explains that. Anyway, that's the crew. They all have to pretend to be their characters, um, as this this uh, as the Thermians expect them to go fulfill this negotiation and save them from the evil Saris. Uh, this slowly starts to unwind as we get a bunch of sequences of everyone like trying to do the thing they have to do. So, um, like uh, Tommy has to try to navigate the ship, but obviously doesn't know how to fly a starship. But it's based enough on his movements from the show, uh, such that he can like figure it out eventually after it's, you know a banging against the wall of the dry dock. Um, which is very ridiculous. They go out uh, to fight Saris uh, and get completely owned immediately. They fly through an entire ship of minefields because they suck so much. Uh, and they're left completely uh, stranded in space and have to go fly off to get a new... Um, oh, what's the Dean McGuffin called? It's like a something the called... The Beryllium Sphere. The Beryllium Sphere is what it is yeah. called, which looks like the whatever model they use for the Corbomite Sphere in Corbomite Maneuver. Yeah, fair enough. That's that's what I always think of, because it's a big sphere of blobs on. Uh, they go to a planet on an away mission to get the sphere. Uh, it's very silly. They roll the sphere around. There are a bunch of aliens. Uh, they Everyone gets the sphere and they get off, but um, Jason is left behind on the planet and uh, Fred has to transport him up using the digitizer, which is their fake transporter. Because everything, nothing can have the same name as Star Trek. That would get them sued. So it's a parade of like, just close enough names which is the funniest thing about all star trek parodies for to me like no one can say warp ever um they probably could i bet they could they probably they could don't. they could but they just don't because the way the second you say warp it's weird that you can't say phaser yeah i mean you have I to make know. them all different who can say what's trademarked there I, i'm not an expert I, the choice has clearly been made to like make them all different that's why i say yes. armor instead of shields yes uh rather than just the trademarked ones yep. um he gets left behind on the planet. There is a fight with a rock monster. He gets beamed out, uh, and they go to. They're going to go back and fight Saris now. They've l- gained the confidence, but it's too late. He's already there. He kicks them off. Uh, he like uh, takes them all prisoner, uh, and they have to explain to the lead Thermian, Mathasar, 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 that they are not actually heroes on space. They are just actors uh, playing a TV show. And they have to tell him that they lied, and it's very sad as this very pure child is like strapped to a chair, going "Oh!" <laughs> over and over again. Um, they are all sent to be thrown out the airlock, but eventually, through like cunning and fake arguments, um, start to like they kick they kick away their like escorts, take their guns back, and start to take back the ship. Uh, they split up. Uh, Jason and Gwen have to go through the bowels of the ship to shut off the like core breach that has been triggered, uh, which involves going through a bunch of designs that make no sense because they were only put there into the show for dramatic purpose. They have to call up the Mac from I'm a Mac um, to tell them what is the design of the ship uh, and go through a bunch of like weird obstacle courses, like it's you know like it's Raven or something. Um, that's a reference America will get. Raven. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll show you a clip from Raven after we're done, I guess. Uh, Wipeout. There you go. That's a show. You okay. Yeah, America. I don't wipe out. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you don't call someone for directions in Wipeout, though. No, but you do go down like a big line of oh, obstacles. Yeah. That's true. yeah. Uh, um, uh, what are the other uh, 
Guy and Fred team up to uh, like turn the oxygen on where all the thermines are being held, which involves them beaming the rock monster into the ship, and it's a whole ridiculous thing. Uh, it's all the callbacks, everyone finally using their powers. Um, Alex goes to bring everyone uh, out of that place and save them all and lead the charge and fight. But as he is doing, uh, one of the thermians... Um, Aquilic dies, uh, who is who is someone who has always seen Alexander as a father to him, and embracing his like stupid line, Alan Rickman says the like by Grabthar's hammer, you will be avenged, and goes and fights all the aliens, and it's very good. Uh, the day is saved. Um, the the ship is destroyed by them taking the mines in the minefield, dragging them behind them, and throwing them into the ship, which is very cool. Uh, the Saras' ship is blown up. They go through the black hole and head back to Earth. Everything is fine. The day is saved. Um, but then, as they are about to re- reach Earth, uh, Fred appears on the bridge and shoots them all, and they reveals that he is Saris in disguise, uh, at which point uh, Jason activates the Omega-13, which is a plot device that has been on the show, but because the show was like, cancelled, it was never resolved, so they, they have to believe that it will be a thing that will like revert time and not a thing that will blow up the universe. Um, and luckily it does, it reverts time 13 seconds. He, he takes out... Uh, Saris just in time and the day is saved uh, but then just at that point as they think the day is saved they're about to crash into earth so they have to perform a fake sulfur separation uh, they like beam out the command deck or they, they don't beam out they eject the command deck all the thermians stay on the, the bulk of the ship as uh, the command deck crashes back into the convention center everyone um, pours out onto the stage gets huge audience like applause as there's like rubble everywhere uh it was revealed saris has survived and he jumps into the middle of the fray uh in the like convention center but then uh jason like does a roll and shoots him and he explodes and the entire audience erupts because i think it's just like a, a bit uh and that is the end of the movie there's a little uh reveal that there's a new series of galaxy quests and they run another like credit sequence um, yep. and that is guy has a name that he's is a movie. character He's called Guy. Yeah, Guy Fliegman. Yeah. I think I said he's a guy called Guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But there you go. That That is that is Guy's Quest. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a really good movie. Uh, some cast uh, trivia that is fun, if you have not ever read it before. Originally, this was going to be directed by Harold Ramis, uh, because this is a DreamWorks production, and they like Ramis. Uh, he wanted Alec Baldwin for the Nesmith role. Uh, Baldwin turned it down, and then Ramis didn't like Tim Allen as the character, so he quit. Uh, yep. Uh, Tim Allen said he he based his performance on Yul Brenner instead of William Shatner, and the minute I heard that, I'm like, yes, that makes a lot of sense because he really is not doing Shatner at all. Which he is really good. isn't, which is um, good, yeah, because they would have killed it. Yep, they didn't want someone with a history of being in sci-fi for the Gwen DeMarco role, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, Sigourney Weaver only like she didn't expect to get the role, but she uh, she auditioned because she wanted to work with Alan Rickman. <laughs> so. Uh, got the role. There you go. Who doesn't? Yep. Uh, Tony Shalhoub originally auditioned for Guy Fliegman in a Troy Yar situation. Um, this is Justin Long's first acting credit. It sure is. Long before Dodgeball. He was competing with Kieran Culkin, uh, Eddie Cade Thomas, and Tom Everett Scott for the role. It's the um, most 90s list of actors you've ever list- yes. given me. This is Rain Wilson's film debut. He was on a soap opera before this. He is. He barely has any role. He is literally just in the background being. He's just one of the Thurmans, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, this movie is weird because a lot of people, um, Missy Pyle as Leiliari, goes on to have like an incredible career doing comedy, but she was basically unknown in this. And apparently, Steven Spielberg saw her audition tape and told them to give her a bigger role in the movie because he liked her. He was like, "She's funny and good. Please give her more to do." <laughs> Yeah, she's like just girl Thermian, but eventually yes. gets like a whole subplot. Uh, yes, with um, Fred. Yep, uh, and it's uh, just like one of the it's it's her and Mathis are the standout Thermians. They're the best at doing the oh thing. Yes, because uh, really, the, it, it, like the whole movie is good, but it cannot be overstated how incredibly good the fucking Thermians are. The bit of them just talking like this all the time. We need your help. <laughs> we need your help. It, shouldn't be as funny as it is for an entire movie it's so funny it's like it's like that it's like the identical bad haircuts and walks (laughs) like they all walk like 
squid people put into human bodies because they are that uh it's very good and funny it never stops being ridiculous (laughs) he will save us yes (laughs) um oh god it's good yeah this is a really funny good movie uh i i remember seeing it at the time i was not watching star trek at this point because i didn't care about ds9 and i had fallen off voyager but i sure did go out to see this movie uh had a great time a thing i didn't remember um two more one more production thing i forgot about this apparently tim allen had to choose between this movie and bicentennial man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> chose this and so bicentennial man went to robin williams i happen to think bicentennial man's okay but jesus christ imagine tim allen in bicentennial man <laughs> uh i got through an hour of bicentennial man as a child i think and i fucking hated it as a kid it's like it's like the peak it. saccharine bullshit film i don't think oh. i've ever seen a film as sappy and dumb as that one i just happen to like a certain type of sappy and dumb yeah no i get it but i just remember trying to watch it as a kid and being like this is too much for me and i'm eight yeah like uh, which... uh but also uh this film is in where where would i read this on uh this film the first like 20 minutes are filmed in 185 to 1 aspect ratio and then when it reveals that he oh, is yes. actually on the ship it switches to 235 which is great. it's a fantastic show it doesn't do that in the version no. i watched no, it doesn't um, do that. On, I, 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 th- I don't think that's in the home version because that's weird to do. It, someone always gets grumpy when they do that, so they never do it. I have seen it. I have I have actually seen this film in a cinema, yep. uh, and I, they did it then. It, it's incredible. Like, that yep. shot is really cool. Like You would not expect a movie like this to be doing cool things with aspect ratio, but it totally does. Uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about this movie is when they made it, they were like, well, we're going to kind of lampoon Star Trek, but we want to make it like we want to like treat that with like the reverence it deserves. And we want, we worried Star Trek fans aren't going to love it. And a lot of Star Trek fans ourselves included consider this one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. Um, if we had to list, it's like top three. Yeah. I'd probably put it third. Yeah. Probably same. I'd be, Hmm. How would I list Star Trek movies? Like going on my gut. So I'd put Rathcon number one for me. Yes. Um, I would probably put undiscovered country as number two. Yep. No, same. And then I would probably put this, um, and then the motion picture. <laughs> yeah, motion picture. Yeah. You really? I haven't revisited the motion picture in years. I should give that another go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it's 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 all the way up there. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, this one Hugo well. Award for best dramatic presentation. Worth noting because we are covering another Hugo Award winning thing after this. So <laughs> we sure are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a great movie. I can't imagine a world where Galaxy Quest like was just like the Orville. Like I'm really glad we didn't get that world. God, we we all we all could have, and then yeah. we're gonna make a second one, but then Alan Rickman died, so they gave that up. Thank God. Oh, were they gonna make one recently? Yeah, no, that, that that literally could like got killed because Alan Rickman died, and that's why there's talk about a TV series because they knew they couldn't do another movie without Alan Rickman. Okay, I don't um, think I don't think Galaxy Quest has a TV series in it. What is that TV series like? What is it? Uh, let's have a look. Uh, there were plans, but um, Paramount Television had like a reshake up, and in July 2018, the series has been put on hold. So it's never happening. It's never happening. Yeah. I've been put on hold while the management was being reestablished, but he anticipated the show would continue forward after that, so it's never happening. Yeah, it's never happening. <laughs> Me, when I write the first chapter of my novel. Like, <laughs> never happening. Oh, apparently they're going to have, like, new characters in that setting. But I don't understand if that means if it's in the universe of the Galaxy Quest TV show, or is it, is it uh, like, the actors go back into space with new human, like, new humans who don't understand what's going on? I, I don't understand. Like, I guess the way you would do that right is the characters would be on a show that aired alongside the fake Next Generation show they make at the end of Galaxy Quest, but it's yes. the like it's the DS9 equivalent, so it's the little brother show of all the actors that have a chip on the shoulder about it. Yeah. You could go that route, I guess. And yeah, maybe. All, so, but, I don't know. It doesn't make, you know, like, who knows, right? Yeah, the, 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 the thing with that is it becomes a question of, like, imagine how many weird, like, Comic-Con jokes make it into that that didn't make it into Galaxy Quest because it was made in 1999. Well, yeah, no, the world has changed, and yeah. nerd culture has changed a lot, and the, the further to the modern day you get, the more, like, absolutely don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, any kind of, like, this is a loving nerd uh, media joke, right? Like, I'm yeah. not going to fucking watch Fanboys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's only 10 years difference, and it's eternity. 
Yeah. Like Justin Long plays like a nice sweet nerd who just likes his like TV show that he watches with his friends and runs like a website on like GeoCities or something. Yeah, it's so innocent. There's no um there's none of the undercurrent. Like, nerds had not discovered ideology yet in that sense. And I'm not saying that, like, it was better in the 90s, right? People yeah. were still gross. But yep. the culture had not discovered ideology as, like, a thing to rally around, which is when it just stopped becoming fun for everyone. Yeah, for sure. And so instead, you just get this, like, nice, fun adventure romp. Like, the weird thing about this is, it, it, as much as it references Star Trek directly and, like, the idea of what happened to Star Trek characters, the actual adventure they go on doesn't feel like Star Trek at all. It feels no, way uh, more like an old, like an older, more, like, pulp adventure thing. Uh, th- th- we talked about this, like, before, but one of the things that's always very funny about this movie to me is that the 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 big theme of the movie, which is the fake theme for Galaxy Quest's, like, opening, yeah. um, d- doesn't sound like Star Trek at all. Like, it's the least Star Trek piece of music ever. Yeah. Uh, and it works for the film, but, like... Yeah, it's lampooning the like, cultural idea of Star Trek, and especially William Shatner in the 90s. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, the actual thing that is the most Star Trek thing that happens in this show is the combat roles that uh, Nesbeth does, and then he loses his shirt inexplicably <laughs> in a battle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, funniest little gags like that. I think my favorite that uh, I completely missed on previous uh, version is there's one scene where Alan Rickman is in his home having a phone conversation and he's still got his prosthetics on yes and i fucking lost it yep. <laughs> there's no reason for that to be true but i'm glad the people making this new yep yeah uh i also like like the weird things about the show like the helm just has a big start engines button because apparently they put that in the dumb show they made yep uh, the way Sarah explodes, Sarah's explodes into a like like a ex- like a firecracker on a pole effect <laughs> because that's what was in the show. Very good. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is the one time they show the show, they're fighting like a giant space tentacle monster. It looks way too advanced for a show like this. Yeah, well, it does, because it's lampooning Star Trek uh, and actually things like older than Star Trek. The fact that it's a show from the seventies and eighties is completely it's in like. To make this work with the time period in which the movies are set and the age the actors are, the show has to be from the late 70s, early 80s, which is where there was no Star Trek show. And yes. obviously would never... like. So it's a weird place to put that. And it's not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't like, make the movie not work. But it's a fun thing to think about for me. Yeah. I was like, this show would never, never have been successful then. Yeah. Like a version of Star Trek where they had access to like Muppet technology for alien races, right? Right. Yeah. And we got that, but it was in the 90s and it was Farscape and I haven't watched it, so. <laughs> oh, right. Farscape exists. Yep. <laughs> People who like Farscape really fucking like Farscape. Yep. The Xeno saga of 90s sci-fi shows. God. It's a deep cut to it. Our podcast very few people have listened to, Jackson. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this movie's great. If you haven't seen it, uh, well, one, we spoiled it for you, sorry, but two, you should still watch it, because yeah, it is incredibly really funny. <laughs> you don't even nope. need to be into Star Trek, though. I don't know why you're listening to this if you are not, so. Uh, yeah, just constantly good gags. It's very funny. God, uh, if they made this movie today, they just put Star Trek cameos in it also, that would also be the worst. There's no cameos. It's incredible. Yes. Not this a single really one. Like, not yep. even, like, fucking Shatner. Nope. I was thinking George Takei is the one they'd get. Oh, okay. No, I take it back. If they could make this today and put George Takei in it, but not Shatner while both of them are still alive, uh, I'd lose it. That's actually the funniest version of this. They would put Will Wheaton in it. Oh, well, they would. Uh, ridiculous quotes, by the way. Uh, there's like quotes of Star Trek actors talking oh, about yes. this movie. Um, yeah. Where are you getting these? Because I know there's a bunch of Memory Alpha. They're just on Wikipedia. I'm going to just read two of them. I'm going to read okay. William Shatner. I'm going to read George Takei. So William Shatner says, I thought it was very funny, and I thought the audience that they portrayed was totally real. But the actors that they were pretending to be were totally unrecognizable. Certainly, I don't know what Tim Allen was doing. He seemed to be the head of a group of actors. And for the life of me, I was trying to understand who he was imitating. The only one I recognized was the girl playing Nichelle Nichols. George Takei, I think it's a chillingly realistic documentary. Laughs. The details in it, I recognized every one of them. It is a powerful piece of documentary filmmaking. Oh, this is just uh, every single, like, shitty rock band watching Spinal Tap. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. Uh, those two in particular, I love that that's their read on it. Oh. Who were they doing? They weren't doing me. <laughs> yeah. 
Church of K, this is ex- this is entirely how it happens. We just weren't picked up by aliens, but if we were, we would do a good job of it. <laughs> uh, you'd like to think so. You know, yeah, what a remarkable movie. I'm amazed it held up because I've seen it I, I, when it was newish. I've seen it probably like two dozen times and coming back to it and still finding it really funny was a delight. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a really good movie. Uh, the things that would make it bad, like it, it doesn't become bad on a rewatch because of the ways like the culture around the stuff has changed. Nope. Just if it happened today, it would be bad. But you can yeah. still go back. Is luckily true. Yep, that's true. Uh, you are you like you wouldn't know that that would be how it went, but it did go that way. Yeah. I think that's all I've got. Uh, I think that's all I've got as well. Nice half an hour on Gas Quest. Good movie. This month, for our book, we are covering Red Shirts, which, again, our friend Crass, uh, as part of their Patreon episode, was like, we're going to have you read Red Shirts. And I was like, oh god, okay, I hope that's not uh, too unbearable, because Red Shirts is a 2012 book uh, by John Scalzi um, that... Uh, and the next line of the Wikipedia page is like, first out, uh, science fiction novel by John Scalzi came out in 2012. Next line, the audiobook is narrated by Will Wheaton. Um, uh, the next line, the book won the 2013 Hugo Award for Best Novel and Locus Award for Best Science Fiction Novel. So already, you get a sense of things. We are 13 years on from Galaxy Quest. The world is a different place. Will Wheaton is narrating this audiobook. Times have changed. We have changed. Uh, what is like an affectionate parody of Star Trek now? What does that mean? What is this? Um, if this is a beloved book in like Star Trek circles. Do they include me anymore? Who knows? I guess we'll find out. And that's interesting because I don't think this book is actually a parody of Star Trek at all. So, uh, what are you talking about? No, the Star Trek stuff is almost incidental to what the show, this book, is actually about. Yes, but... Okay, we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, This book takes place on the Intrepid, the flagship of the Universal Union. This fake Star Trek, fake Enterprise, fake Universe... What do I want? Uh, United Federation of Planets. Yes. Yes. Uh, We are introduced to a main character, Andrew Dahl, an ensign, a xenobiologist, an expert in alien religions, brought on to the Intrepid, along with a bunch of other characters. The names of which I could give you, but none of it matters here. Um, they find out that the lower ranks of this ship just churn through people because they die on all these away missions at an unusually high rate. Uh, they, uh, Dahl starts investigating cause he's like, this is weird. Why is everyone keep dying? And is it going to happen to us? And he discovers that the mid tier crew has like ways to avoid the main bridge crew because the main bridge crew sends you on away missions with them. And then you die and weird stuff happens to them. Um, he finds a crew member that has been hiding out in like the Jeffrey's tubes of the ship for months named Jenkins and Jenkins offers him an answer. They are caught up in the narrative of a bad science fiction show written and produced for television, kind of like star Trek, but way worse. Uh, and they constantly are being sacrificed to bad plotting in these episodes being killed by land, like sandworms and ice sharks and all sorts of incongruous things. Um, they try to one. They try to figure out how they're going to get out of this. Jenkins explains that once upon a time, the other bridge crew took a shuttle into a black hole and traveled back to the present day. Uh, traveled back to 2012, and he's like, "That's probably where it was because they wanted to write an episode that was in the present day, so everyone could like look at themselves and laugh." That's what happens. And I thought back to that episode of Enter- uh, Enterprise Voyager. I think it's Voyager that does that. It goes directly back to when the show no, takes it's, place. It's Enterprise. It's Enterprise because it's part of the Cindy War arc. Oh yeah, Voyager also has one of those though. Okay, I mean, yes, that, that's probably like five years between those episodes yep. at least. Yep. Uh, very little's changed, but yes. Oh right, because Jonathan Archer yes. going through drive-through. Yes. Yes. Because it's Archer and Paul. <laughs> yes. God. Um, yep. And so they kidnap one of the bridge crew and go through the black hole and end up in 2012. And they are trying to stop the production of this television show they're on. They meet their doubles and. 
go through this long chain where they have to like convince their doubles that they are from the show and are real people. And then they need to get those doubles to get them to meet with the cast of the, or like the uh, production staff of the show to get them to stop killing characters off. Uh, This is made easier by one of Dahl's friends being the doppelganger to one, the the head writer's son who was on the show as an extra. And then uh, his son was in a, uh, bicycle crash, motorcycle crash, something, and he is in a coma. And they're like, "Well, here's your son. Definitely proves it." And they have a plan where they are going to send the damaged son back to the show and leave the crewman here in like a fake coma. And then, because time wants to reset itself to neutral, we'll put the memories, like swap memories, and they can fix the broken body and have their crewman back, and everyone will be happy. If he manages to write the show so that they're happy and healthy, they end the show, they stop killing people, and they bring the show into something better, which he agrees to do. He does. Uh, the show ends, and everyone survives, and they all live happily ever after in space. Not the end of it's the book. True. Not the end of the book, no. We cut to the first of three codas to the book this is a first person narrative of the head writer writing a blog about his situation like anonymously he's like i met the characters in my fictional story they told me to stop killing them so i did but now i have writer's block what do i do and just like an array of blog posts as he talks to people anonymously who don't believe him or have questions for him uh one of them suggests that he talked to writers who wrote similar stories like stranger than fiction or whatever and goes to meet with them and ask them if they had similar experiences he puts feelers out most people think he's a crank someone uh one uh author gives him a lecture about like this is just all about your writer's block you just need to be a better writer and you can write yourself around this problem uh and he's like god damn it that's not helpful to me but then he kind of feels like that's maybe the thing he should do um and tries to write a better show he's like oh if i can write a show without conflict or, or with conflict but without characters dying for no good reason maybe i just have a good show in me and i can make that happen uh we cut to the second coda of the producer's son who woke up from the coma and he's like well there was i I, there's stories around people someone who looked like me running around the city while i was in a coma that's weird i don't remember any of that also i was in a huge accident that like ruined my body and my brain should be mush and yet here i am as healthy as i ever was before the accident how does this happen and he goes on like a search for what this means and eventually stumbles on the truth because his uh doppelganger self left a message for him about like hey we both got a second chance because of this i'm not in a bad story anymore you're alive again neither of us should throw away our lives and be better people the third coda an actress who played the wife of jenkins who died in the show which gave jenkins his motivation to hide in the jeffrey's tubes uh has was given a package by jenkins because he sent it with them into the past to give her that explains the situation uh, that she was once a person who was married to him and they had a good full life that they loved a lot, even if she died. And even if she wasn't real, that is important. And he hopes that she finds happiness. And this kind of messes up her life briefly as she tries to process all this because she's just an actor and all. Eh? She's not even an actor anymore. She like retired, right? She's like teaching or something. Yeah, she's teaching. And uh, she thinks about the weird possibilities that are produced by fiction and reality and whatnot and then on the beach like as she burns all of this information she was given and scares its ashes into the ocean to lament this lady who didn't wasn't real who died she meets the actual person who portrayed jenkins in the show and he asks out for a drink and maybe some things are fated to be in this universe the end there we go that is the end of the book that's the end of the book so there's the star trek part right the star trek part is bad <laughs> yeah uh it's it's like all the stuff of star trek and like oh we're gonna like make fun of star trek in the most broad way possible but it's also just a really badly written book <laughs> that's so the important the, part the, it, it is kind of hard to overstate the way in which this book is written it is 80 to 90 percent dialogue the, before the coders at least the like the bulk of the book is just dialogue scenes uh, it's just people delivering jokes back and forth with each other and everyone sounds the same because this is clearly a, you know like was at some point in its life presumably uh i don't know this but it could have been a like tv pilots just whedon-esque right trying to get on the tv in the late 2000s because it like reeks of that in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um and so uh whether or not that's true it definitely has the sense of just it's gonna a bunch of characters that all are the same kind of like irreverent and jokey some of them are slightly more horny than others one of them's a girl like is is the what we have and they're all uh 
yell banter at each other back and forth. Um, there's like a running gag about blowjobs. Um, it's not even like an actual joke and it's not it's even not about actual blowjobs. It's just like they wanted to put something ribald in this book. So he wrote like the laziest thing. Yeah, it's, it's just they go back and forth and they say, oh, you did something good for me. That means I you owe me a blowjob. But if you do, if you do something like really good, then I owe you a fuck. But they don't like act, there's not they're not actually doing anything. They're just saying that because they're cool. Like people on this on the spaceship with their cool slang. Um, and so uh, th- th- there's very little like um, emotional content in the book until you get to the actual ending, right? There's there's very little other than the bones of this mystery, uh, which at the start is actually okay. The bones of the mystery are fine because it's, it, before it becomes full meta, um, it is a mystery about what's happening with all these red shirts. Uh, and it's kind of like low-level scary as there's something wrong with this ship for the first... And then, 30% of the book is it does that and then they meet a character who's like it's a TV show we're doing this when there's no mystery anymore we're doing this that's what it is go back go time travel to the past uh, which is good because on the other hand like I don't know what other answer there could have been to that that would have been satisfying uh, and it it is good to like stop wasting time and get to the actual thing uh, yeah. but once it shifts to being just the, the comedy thing and like any of the tension is gone it's just them going through the motions of this kind of bad comedy uh with very with no characters to really care about um, i didn't even i didn't even read the like present day stuff as particularly comedic because i mean it's not funny which i guess like <laughs> your read on this is like yeah it's not funny it's a bad comedy my read is like it's just kind of like a meta story like i read this almost as like a if i could see the anime of this book really easily <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah sure sense? yeah uh that makes sense but <sighs> Satoshi Kon's red shirts. <laughs> Don't even joke. <laughs> like that. Like the thing that we'll get to is I. I actually kind of like this book quite a bit, and Jackson did not. I think that's maybe where the difference is. Where I read this as like way more like just playing it straight than you did. And if you read this as a comedy, it's a really fucking terrible book. It's a really fucking terrible comedy. But also, I think the other thing is that uh, I called this book's. Um, I called it like twenty percent in. Uh, I told you what I was thinking, and I was like, "Okay, at some point he has to realize that he himself is in a book, and then get mad at that because that is its own like trap, as it's basically going through the like the lie of fiction uh, and trying to uh, work through the morality of what it means to tell a story." Um, and when it actually engages with that in the coda is actually the most, like, it's the best stuff in the book. I, I don't think it's great, uh, but it, we both agree that it is better than the actual yeah, bulk of the Yeah, because, like, the actual, uh, like, I didn't mind the, oh, we went to the future, or we went to the present, we saved, the, we fixed the show, we're going to fix everything, and then the world settles down in the fictional universe. Then there's the chapter where he's, like, talking to his friend who has no backstory and didn't seem to be plot relevant, and it's like, oh, are you, like... It, he's like he's the author and all of this is another level of fiction none of this is real and that stuff i thought was hokey and bad and i was like man i'm sad this is where this book ends off and then there's a coda of stuff that salvages it directly um and i like the codas a lot where it brings it back around to the people in the present day that are about like what happens when you touch as fiction and have to like reckon with it as like a real thing and not I think not just something that you like do for your day job right yeah it's it's weird i thought i, th- I th- I go back and forth on some of the um, Coda stuff. I think that the the one with the blog is t- is it's very broad. Uh, I mean, it's all very broad. But I didn't I didn't like it as much as uh, as you did. And my favorite I mean, stuff in the, as someone who the... read movie blogs in like the early aughts, it just reads like one of those. Like it literally is just one of those. It captures the tone of those <laughs> exceptionally well. Okay, that's fair. Like so, I I was never really in that scene. Like you know, I don't have the same em- deep emotional catharsis that you do to the ending of Jay and Silent Bob. Like, yes. <laughs> I just wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, which, is, it makes sense. I get, so yeah, because I was just reading that. I was like, yes, this is a dumb blog. This is kind of altercating from the actual stuff. But if, if that is a thing you're familiar with, I can get how that would hit harder. Yeah. Uh, like, the, the, my favorite scene in the entire book was one of the, it was one of the dates that she went on in the last uh, novel. It was the one where she went on that date with that guy who just talked about his wife the whole time. Yeah, who died, uh, for the record. And it ended up having nothing, like, it didn't, like, directly have a bunch of lines talking about what this means about stories. It was just this, like, very earnest and sad moment of these two characters who, like, like each other going on a date where there's nothing between them because they're both uh, in, like, sad places in life and hung up on other issues. Uh, and it was just a really nice moment. And, um, look, I think that the the final coda is definitely all the best stuff in the book. Uh, 
for this reason because there's no emotional content in any of the uh of the like fake star trek stuff and mostly that's because they're in a bad show so they're all bad characters anyway everything is function above uh above all like it, it is an and analyzing the mechanics of fiction because that's what it's interested in um and i don't think it really goes far enough with that to be i can't i can't sustain that on its own it doesn't go far enough enough to make that like cool to me it just kind of feels very going through the numbers of a mm-hmm. you know meta story uh like <laughs> no it's fine why <laughs> i was gonna bring up another meta story of reading on another thing no, don't you dare. You're not allowed to poison this podcast with that bullshit. That's why I said it was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it was just like, we run a bunch of podcasts about reading probably too deeply into fiction that sometimes is just a TV show or a book yes. series. Um, and I like that this book is about people who are fucked up when they decide, like, they suddenly realize they can do that because big mood. That's like, true. We that we are we are actually like philosophically flummoxed by Gundam pretty much every three weeks <laughs> because we read too deeply into an anime from the eighties. For uh, children, and these people met actual people that were in the TV show that they all thought was stupid that they worked on, and it fucks up their lives. And yes, I can understand how that happens, and I like that okay. they explore that. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, and yeah, like. If they hadn't put a coder in there to actually get into the emotional ramifications of the story, oh, then this book would be like the the dumbest trifle I just read and was like, yeah, I guess that happened. Yeah, and I was already like, by the time we got to the coders, I was already kind of tired. Like, there was the best stuff in the book, but it already lost me. Yes. Um, And then talking to Crass, I know Crass said that they'd read some of, like, another one of Scalzi's books, and it is much more like, what was this like without the coda? And it was bad, so. Wait, which like the other books are like similar? like they've done other books that are like he's done other weird sci-fi like kind of Star Treks, but they don't have they aren't the coda they aren't about that sort of emotional stuff. They're just like weird Star Trek riffs, and they don't have the extra layers to it. Um, I would have assumed you would have just built the emotional work into the story, but I forget that that's not a thing that sci-fi writers do. I mean, that's not fair. <laughs> that's sorry, I was muted. Me, <laughs> we're reading a bunch of sci-fi books that are literally doing that, but you yeah. know, um. It that was mean, but also like reading this book, it definitely felt like a real uh, viewpoint into what like fandom capital F cares about storytelling in a way that it was so obsessed with the mechanics uh, for the majority of the book um, that it like the actual realities of the people ended up being kind of secondary. And luckily, it did like bring that round at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and have like put that stuff in its own separate book at the back but reading the bulk of the book really did feel like a look into like yes this is what stories are stories are moving parts and things that can be solved and we can make jokes about that and isn't that funny uh and i was just so turned off by that uh that it really like pushed me away hmm that's fair uh yeah no i ended up just liking the 2012 stuff so much that it definitely salvaged everything for me like Mm -hmm. i said i'd really like the anime version of this Mm -hmm. that makes sense I I understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not like a well-written book ever. So that's right off the table. The the part where there's no description or anything other than dialogue is it's bewildering to me. I yes. don't know how that happens. I don't know. I don't understand. He has multiple multiple awards, many of them have been Hugo nominated. He was the creative consultant on Stargate Universe. Maybe he's a good writer. I've not read one of his non-comedy books. Like he yeah, could just true. be a really good sci-fi writer. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, we've read a lot of Star Trek books. Imagine if they wrote a non-Star Trek comedy version of their books. That would all be terrible. <laughs> Every single one we've read. But like that scene at the end where he talk, where that, that date happens and they talk about their lives is like really good. So like, there's clearly the capability within. Like, even this book, and I'm sure, like, a lot of other stuff that this person's written, like, I'm not familiar with it, but it doesn't have to be this bad. Like, there there are moments in this, there are moments in this book where the possibility for, like, emotional content is, like, there. Uh, so I, I don't feel comfortable saying he's, like, going to be all bad. Yeah. Because he could, I know you're laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it just, the phrase, it, they don't all have to be this bad was very funny to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, sorry for being mean. Cry into your Hugo Award. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the next year, Ancillary Justice won. Like, 
Oh man, you want to talk about a good sci-fi book? Ancillary Justice is one of the best books I've ever read. I need to fucking go back and read that because I've read the first few chapters and it's it's reading like tie-in novels for the podcast has completely cheated me as to the amount of effort reading a book requires yes no the uh the ancillary series is great but the first book most of the first book you're going to be confused as to what's going on because of everyone's like names and pronouns and history is not necessarily elucidated to you yeah no like it's a book you have to like read capital yes yeah for actual adults yes (laughs) uh so i have to like take take some time to do that but i will do it at some point i've been promising you for ages my I know I took forever to watch Enterprise. It's my current Enterprise. I have to read that book at some point. Yeah. Your current Enterprise, Ancillary Justice. <laughs> yep. Look. That's it. That's the book. It was It was fine. It was Jackson fine, hated yeah. it. I hated it, but it wasn't... It, look, for as much as I complained about it, it went very fast. <laughs> yeah, it did go very fast. That's true. It was a nice breezy read. I can go back to my manga. <laughs> yeah, breeziest read. Uh, so that's it. We don't have any questions. We didn't take any, obviously. Thank you, Crass, for giving us this adventure in Star Trek parody. Now someone's going to request we watch that episode of Black Mirror someday, and you're going to be really mad because you've already seen I, it. I hate it so... I didn't see all of it because I hated it so much. I had, oh, okay. I had a violent reaction to how bad that episode was. Okay. Maybe someone will make us watch the Orville. I'll watch the Orville. You've already watched the Orville. I've watched, like, five episodes. It's fine. That's true. That's true. I did not finish There's it. Still, mate, this is going to be a season two of the Orville. Yeah, that's true. Can't imagine why, but fair enough. Uh, thanks, everybody. Next we next month, we are reading The Left Hand of Destiny, book one, again. And we are watching TNG season four finale and season five premiere, Redemptions part one and two. So please look forward to that. We'll be back in just a couple weeks for that, probably, because I want to get back. I want to do these early in the month, not at the end of the month, but this has been a yep. hell month. This has uh, been a hell month. So thanks, everybody. See you out there. Fuck you!